Hey, this is the Anything But Quiet Time podcast, and we are having so much fun right now with our Christmas series, Finding Jesus in Your Favorite Christmas Movies. And today, do you want to do the, the impression? I want to live again. I want to live again. It's pretty good. Merry Christmas, we'll barely alone. Bad fart falls. Zoos, zoos, pedals. Zoos, zoos, pedals. There they are, Bird. What do you know about that? I guess we should actually, because people are like, this is the worst impressions I've ever heard. Or, or, I've never, I don't know what you're talking about because I haven't seen the movie and we're just going on about stuff. <laughs> it's a wonderful life. It's a classic Jimmy Stewart, life lessons. Obviously, we're going to get a lot of good stuff out of this one, mm. but a lot of hard examples to learn from, too. Don't forget, this is a series. We've done Christmas Vacation. We've done... Finding Jesus and Christmas yes. Vacation. <laughs> Maybe the most controversial... Just even saying that out loud, people uh-huh. are like, really? My 13-year-old said, good luck. It's what he said. It's honestly, people <laughs> click play on that one and go, yeah, okay, we'll see about this. <laughs> Uh, and then last week we did the original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mm-hmm. And of course, last year we did uh, so four other movies ones. too. Elf, so. Home Alone, yeah. Grinch. So I remember about this movie, I was probably 17 years old and I had never seen it. Oh, really? Okay. And uh, I will never forget that we walk into the, it was a week before Christmas and we walk into Coach Poole's room. He was not the swim coach, weirdly enough. Who was he? What was he? A coach he of? was a, a football coach okay. and, and a driver's ed guy, but he taught history. You know, that kind of, he loved. Oh, yes. He loved talking about General MacArthur, you know, just all the World War II stuff. <laughs> and he said, but here's the thing. Every semester of mine, we do watch It's a Wonderful Life the two days before Christmas because you should not go your life without watching that movie. Agreed. And he believed in that message enough to make sure that all of us, I mean, really even before this uh, pandemic, if you will, this epidemic of of people harming themselves and mm-hmm. feeling, you know, not uh, up to standard and the anxiety and the depression, even before we were there stats wise, he felt it strongly enough to make sure to show every high school class. Yeah. And I think he either still does that or did that until he retired. Um, but every single class of his watched this movie because it was that strong of a message. It's a Frank Kappa masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently watched a, a Christmas slash almost like Hallmark movie on Netflix and they referenced this film and they were like, this may be the best movie of all time. Ah, yeah. And when it was when it was first out in theaters, you may or may not know this, that critics and people, they were kind of on the fence about it. At least it, it didn't have the numbers of the box office. Sure. And so uh, Jimmy Stewart always believed in this film. He plays the role of George Bailey. And in fact, he said, to the day he died, it was his favorite role to play. Hmm. One of his favorites. Um, so I'm really grateful that it it's around. It's I don't even know. I think the film that was nominated that year for an Academy Award, I did see it, but it was such a snore fest. This one should have won. And well, of course, you know a lot of them, a lot of Christmas movies, and not comparing these, uh, but a Christmas Story and It's a Wonderful Life kind of had the same thing. They they didn't do that great in the box office, and then they became these holiday classics. favorites and these classics. Yeah. yeah, I think It's a Wonderful Life is a little more powerful. <laughs> personally, but uh, so we start off when, when George Bailey's a kid yes, and uh, he is just, seems to be this sweet kid that wants to do good in the world. Well, he actually, it's really interesting. We know right off the bat that he's this selfless kind of kid because he and his brother, they're playing with the other kids and I think they're sledding and it's, you know, in the old timey movies when they're first recorded, it's just loud and mayhemy and the kids sound like they're from the 1920s. Mm-hmm. They haven't figured out boom mics and things like that on the set yet of the film. But uh, yeah, they he saves his little brother's life. 
And that's a really big deal. His little brother falls in and down in the ice. In the ice. And so he's underwater. George dives in after him. And being in that water for as long as he was, it costs him his hearing in one of his ears. Mm. So yeah, right away we already know, okay, this kid is a good older brother. He's going to be a staple in this film. He's working at a pharmacy and there's Mr. Gower, the pharmacist. And uh, we we come to find out that Mr. Gower just lost his son uh, in the war, actually due to influenza, but in the war. And so clearly Mr. Gower's not doing well. Mm-hmm. He is turned to drinking. And, and this is kind of just the, the beginning of that scene. Oh. Yes, sir. You're to be a canary? No, sir. Nope, I don't, I'm not paid to be a canary. That's right. Um, and I, I find it so encouraging that in the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of difficult people, him recognizing he had the luxury of seeing the, the letter from the military, but he had the, the, the wherewithal to not let negative people get to him. George, you're talking George, about George. Yeah. Because... He recognized that there were extenuating circumstances going on. And he's a little kid. And he's a little kid. But he's done, he's already done some growing up in his years, maybe because of losing his hearing in one ear. That that mm-hmm. will add years to your life like that if you allow character maturity to come along after tragedy hits. But yeah, no, it, this guy is a curmudgeon. The yeah, pharmacist? Right. Oh, yeah. Well, he ends up, you know, saving the guy's bacon because of uh, he accidentally put poison in one and George caught the mistake, right? His his pills, yeah. Yeah. And so it, it was one of those things where you see in the Bible about perseverance and character and all of these qualities. Of course, and then the, the fruit of the Spirit, it says in Galatians, of uh, kindness and peace and gentleness. And we don't always get the luxury mm-hmm. of knowing the person's story in traffic or, or even the coworker we work with every day. We don't know what's going on at home. And, and also their story isn't, isn't, yeah. I mean, it would be true about any situation. It's not an excuse to treat other people badly, but if I can have empathy or at least sympathy for them in what they're going through, what even they might be going Mm -hmm. through, then I can hopefully, I don't know, hold steady kind of comes to mind, Mm -hmm. not, not bending in the wave of their uh, toxicity and instantly wanting to be toxic right back because it's very easy with that grumpy coworker to get just like that. What I love about this movie is that you go back to not obviously the very beginning because we don't see George Bailey born, but the entire film foreshadows the important lesson at the very end. George was instrumentally used by his creator to intercede on behalf of others in helping to, quote, save their bacon, as Carter was talking about. That pharmacist would have been put in jail, poisoning a family because he was not in a good state of mind while he's filling out those capsules, Mm -hmm. putting bad stuff in them. George sees that he's doing stuff wrong because he's sad about the loss, the druggist, the loss of his son. Um, This kid... He's one of those kids that you hope you get working for you. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I want a sure. George Bailey working for me. Uh-huh. George, interestingly enough, throughout the entire film, doesn't see himself as an exceptional human being, which adds to, I, I guess, the the humble attitude anyway. But um, what's the next clip we have to play? Uh, talking about him and Mary. Okay, so there's this beautiful girl. You may remember Donna Reed, the Donna Reed show. I love the sweet character of Mary, who is totally in love with George Bailey from the very beginning. In fact, there's this sweet scene when George is at the soda fountain and he's trying to 
scooper, I think some ice cream and he wants to put coconut on it. And she's like, oh, I don't like coconuts. You don't like coconut. <laughs> like, he's so abrupt. That, that's really a life lesson about boys, yeah. too. You don't ha, like coconuts. What's wrong with yeah. you? But she whispers into his bad ear, I will love you for the rest of my life. And she grows up to be just this stunning girl. And George sees her and he just starts telling her all the things that he is going to do. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, he the Colosseum. starts talking about, okay, so I, I am going to do the college thing. I'm going to have my European uh, vacation type tour thing. And, and his dad has a stroke. So no more college plans. He is forced to take responsibility for his dad's business, which is a building and loan, Bailey building and loan. And I, I don't know if you can relate to that. Perhaps you've been put in a position where it's like, it's up to you now. Maybe it's not your dad's business, but it's something else. You're kind of forced in there because it's the quote, right thing to do. Oh, I, I think there's many different ways that this takes place. And it's maybe simply not getting a promotion mm -hmm. and honoring where you are, you where you are, and where God has you. I think of my family members, you know, my mother-in-law specifically, of um, having a, uh, a a special needs child mm -hmm. that is, you know, getting close to forty years old and still in the home. It is a lifelong commitment. When you don't, when you get married, you don't think about mm -hmm. uh, things like this. You you think of what he's thinking about. I'm gonna do all this stuff, you, or even. I'm going to have the normal, just like everybody marriage and 2.5 kids, you know, 2.5 kids, you know, whether it's, it's the dreams around the world or it's the every, everyday dream. Yeah. Um, and there are things like this that we, as believers in Jesus, we, we got to roll with what life brings us mm -hmm. and, and have the patience because God has allowed it in our lives for a reason. This is the anti-Hollywood movie. Mm. Maybe this is why the box office, office numbers didn't soar, but it collectively has gained so much popularity over the century, you know, that people recognize this is real life. Yeah. We are allowed to dream and go for it. And God wants us to prosper. He wants to, us to know that we have a future and a hope in him. But here's the thing. It's not going to be the cakewalk that Hollywood paints sure. because if it was, you can't grow out of inexperience. You can't mature when you don't have life hit you upside the head. If everything gets served to you on a platter, what do you become? You become the spoiled little rich kid. That's what you become. I've heard it said from a, a very wise pastor, the place that we grow the most is in the valley. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it is, we have these mountaintop moments right. of life. And then we have the valley moments where it's not going great. And you think about when, when it rains, mm -hmm. all the water goes down, where does the, the water valley. go? Right. Yeah. And what, and where is it lush? It's yeah. in the Valley. And that doesn't mean you want to be there. You want to be on the mountaintop. You want to climb Everest. Um, but that's where we really do mature. See, here's the thing about George. We're going to talk about the upstanding part of this situation. This is what I'm forced into. Well, he didn't have to do the thing. He could have abandoned that family and left town. And his mom needed his help. And he knew that. And he took responsibility because that's what a man does. Mm. That's what a true woman and man, a character faith maturity does. They stand up for what's right. Somebody changed my perspective on, on, on love even a little more because we know love's not a feeling. But often when I want to 
not that I should be a grump about stuff and have a bad attitude, but if I don't feel like doing something mm-hmm. and then I choose the right thing and then I choose to do it anyway, that really is an act of love, even though I don't feel it. So for example, one of the times that I might love my wife the most is when um, we're both sitting on the couch and she asked me to get up and get her something to drink. Or can you do me a huge favor and run to Walgreens and get my medicine? I don't jump up and go, I love you so much. It's like Jimmy Stewart would. Oh, Mary, you know, I, I don't want to, Yeah, but I not always, but often choose to do it. And that's choose to, I like that. I don't want to, but I am choosing to. And that's love. Love is action, not feeling. Yeah. So just because you don't, just because he didn't yeah. want to, doesn't mean that he didn't perform an act of love. Yeah. There's this part further down the way. He knows that his brother's going to come along, his younger brother. He wasn't, I think, in that place of, of age yet where he would be able to do what George is doing in taking over the family business. But when he does come of age, so he is going to finish up college. He's going to come back home and he's going to take over so that now George can do stuff. That doesn't happen. And he gets married and he takes another job somewhere else. And he eventually goes into World War II, which George is not able to do because of his hearing loss. Um, It's another one of those kick in the pants kind of, oh, oh, you. And it's not, I don't even know if his brother wasn't willing to do it. I think it might've been George recognizes my little brother really has an incredible opportunity here. Yeah. So what's the right thing to do? What's the selfless thing to do? Well, once again, this life Jesus tells us that this life is meant to bring honor and glory to him. That's Mm. what God's word tells us. Our creator has created us for a purpose to bring honor to the creator because we are the creation. And so it's not about me. It's about how can I honor the creator? And so George takes on that responsibility and says, I think it will honor people when I serve them. And when we serve others, we're serving God, right? Well, and with what you said about bringing honor to God, I, at the very end of this, I do want to get to one huge aspect that I think is wrong with this whole movie. Oh, that is a good tease. What's we'll, wrong we'll with see, this movie? We'll see what's wrong with this movie. Yeah, I don't know if I can agree with that, it. That'll be at the very end of, out of oh, okay. all our observations. Okay. So he finds this beautiful woman named Mary. We've already seen her in the movie. Uh, Donna Reed, he does marry her. Why? Because he's not a total moron. You know, <laughs> she's she is awesome. She loves him. Uh, he's even kind of just down with the whole situation of having to be at home. But he falls in love. They get married. Well, here's the thing: as they're on their way out of town, Bedford Falls. They've got two thousand dollars to their name. Mm-hmm. They're going to go spend it and have the best honeymoon ever. And perhaps you, you've you been married, so you know what it's like. You're just anticipating a week off and just having a good time, right? And that's when the crash happens. And everybody is rushing towards the bank. And they're coming to the building and loan. And everybody is wanting their money that they have put in the trust of Bailey, George Bailey. They want it now. They want it because they're concerned about what's happening. And so other people are running in and saying, hey, Potter gave me, uh, you know, like 50 cents on the dollar. So they're all going to go over to Potter and switch businesses. That's not a good idea. Come on, guys. Work with me. You know me. I'm a good family guy. My family's been around here for forever. You can trust me. Potter's the worst. Potter's the worst. Talk about curmudgeons. Yeah. 
And Mary has come in from the car that was driving them to their honeymoon destination, and she hears the ruckus, and she says, I got back to this today. I need cash. I can't be back in some faith. I'm going to have How much do you need? Hey! I got $2,000. Here's $2,000. This will tide us over to the bank reopens. All right, Tom, how much do you need? $242. Oh, Tom, just enough to tide you over until the bank reopens. I'll take $242. All right, Tom. And the the next lady, she touches my heart because she only asked for like $16.52 uh-huh. or something like yeah. that. But there's a couple things that strike me there. Number one, the selflessness of the bride that he has chosen. You know, when we are picking soulmates, teammates, because uh, some people would argue, I don't believe in soulmates, but when you choose a teammate for life to be on the same page about where do you stand with money? <laughs> where do you stand? What defines success? She clearly was willing to, in that moment, she saw her husband struggle. This is going to be a problem. Here it is. All I've ever wanted is to be with him, to love him well, to be by his side, to serve my husband. And she's going to do it in that moment. I was just really blessed as a wife seeing that. That's incredible. And I'm going to be honest with you. um, Leaving for my honeymoon, my do not disturb would have been on. Right. I would have been out the door. Good luck. I will see what happens when I get back. So we're not sure if he (laughs) saw what was going on and his anxiety kicked in about, I probably should check this out. Or it was a really good, I want to serve the people around me type of thing. We don't know where George was at. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this is how it ended up. The, you know, we're about to walk into the depression years, right? Yeah. So when it go, really goes down again, right? This is this is the the uh, uh, climax of the movie where um, this is what's going to push him over the edge into wanting to, to jump into the river. Oh, but before he jumps into the river, I think it's also important to say that he and Mary build a life together with yeah. their children. And they have this dream, even though it's a, a the lesser dream from what he originally thought about. Oh, I'm going to go see the world and everything. He's like, I'm going to help people in our community right now who are on the low end scale. They're poor, quote unquote. And I'm going to give them the chance that they didn't have. And so he starts building this, this area where people who are of lesser means can have that home, which is so special. And I think I, I really can glean from that too, Carter. It's just like God knows what's best. And if we walk out what is best, so serving his brother, serving his town, Mm. making sure that even though that's not what my plan was, God, this is honoring to you and to other people. It's going to help align us with something so much of more value. I mean, yeah, going to Europe might be great, but you actually changed the livelihoods of so many people in this area. Sure, that's true. When uh, when all that happens, but then it, it really goes down, they lose the $8,000 that they need because of Uncle Billy. Billy! Oh, and um, Mr. Potter. He, he, you know, about strangles Uncle Billy. And then he gets to this point where he goes home and he is clearly not having a good day and I'm takes stressed. it out on the wife and kids, right? Should I know? What do you think I am? A dictionary? Tommy, stop that. Stop it. Janie, haven't you learned that silly tune yet? You play it over and over again. Now stop it. Stop it. Yeah. You know, it really just speaks to me. This is more of a, a bad example to learn from, right? Is it it may not be this extreme, and you can't blame anybody that lost eight thousand dollars and God knows what your future is gonna be. Uh and and back in those days, I mean that would have been oh. significantly more. I can't what would that be? A hundred thousand dollars? I mean, no yeah. Idea. And um 
but it's it's really a lesson for for parents for anybody dealing with circumstances and then walking into work mm-hmm. or taking frustrating circumstances at work and walking into home yeah. um but especially for parents and and of course in my mind dads mm-hmm. that can easily come home had a terrible day and then take it out on the family yeah and that is that's hard because you feel the way that you feel yeah and you know, maybe more of an act of love is, is, um, even if you aren't bubbly (laughs) at the very least, not berating your children for playing the piano and making sure that you set up boundaries somehow and accountability, you know, with friends or whatever to not let that get to you as best as you can. And I'm, I'm, I don't have a be all end all solution because depending on the circumstance, that's incredibly hard. Well, then it's, you can see it on the, the actors are so good in this scene too. You can see it on his wife's face. Um, he's not physically abusing the, the family, but every time he just says something like, just demeaning, like, mm-hmm. what am I, a dictionary? Or just, you know, just talking down to him in this ugly way. The look on their face of like, what's going on with daddy? Right. Something is wrong. Yeah. Um, that sucks mm-hmm. when you're a parent. And you know that you have said something in your anger. It has nothing to do with your child Mm. or your spouse. And you have said the thing that took it across that line. And that look, that innocence in that moment is robbed from them. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's so hard. And then, so you're looking at it from the perspective of the offender. But I think what happens in this next scene, Zuzu, the little girl, she has walked home and she wasn't properly dressed. She didn't have her coat and her hat on or whatever. And now she's got the sniffles. Mm-hmm. And when her dad finds out that she walked home without her coat on, he was very upset and he finds somebody to blame. And so the teacher. Hello. Hello, Mrs. Welsh. This is George Bailey. I'm Zuzu's father. Say, what kind of a teacher are you anyway? What do you mean sending her home like that, half naked? You realize she probably end up with pneumonia on account of you? Is this the sort of thing we pay taxes for, to have, teacher, have teachers like you, stupid, silly, careless people, that send our kids home without any clothes on? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best dressed kids, and maybe they don't have any decent clothes. Oh, that's stupid. Hey, hello, Mrs. Welch. I, I want to apologize. Hello? She hangs hello? up. Yeah. So I want to look at this from the perspective of the teacher. Now, obviously, she was very upset. And we find out later in the movie because her husband ends up punching George in the face when he's sitting at a bar. He finds out, oh, oh, you're the guy who called my Mm -hmm. wife? Punches him dead in the face. Uh, She's upset, obviously. When people say hurtful things to you, I have to remember, especially if I don't know them well, but even if I do know them well, most of the time they are projecting something that's going on inside of them Mm. and has nothing to do with me. And we've, you know, even if you're in customer service or something like that, recognizing the frustrating comments that you're taking over the phone, most of the time it has nothing to do with you. (laughs) However, you're receiving the brunt of that. Mm -hmm. But however, I can somehow in my mind separate myself from these circumstances and say, this is not about you, Rochelle. Sure. This is about something is up with that guy. And he is berating me because nothing I've done. 
but something that's broken inside of him. And as we know, George is freaking out because the business is done. He is toast. He he no longer has a house. His house feels like it's falling apart. There's no way they're going to be able to pay the bills. I've got all these kids. My daughter's sick. So that's amplified in his mind. She's got pneumonia. She's going to be hospitalized or whatever he's thinking, you know, all this stuff. So here he is at the bar and he finds himself in desperation and he prays for apparently the first time in a while. Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way. I think this is honestly a beautiful picture of mm-hmm. Roman. I think it was Romans one about the, the general revelation of God mm-hmm. that no man can deny that there is a God. And we have a lot of people in our culture that do. Mm-hmm. And I think more often than not, you will get to a place in circumstances in life where you pray, you pray to something you, I, I have no control left and so, God, if you're there, there's many movies that have shown that too. Angels in the Outfield comes to mind too. Not quite as powerful as this one. <laughs> and and it, it's, I I want to keep that in mind cautiously when talking to people that say they don't believe in God. Hmm. I'm not. I don't want to. It's not going to really get anywhere when we're when everything's going fine and we're in a theological debate. And then I go. Uh, well, you believe in God and just wait till something bad happens to you. You're going to be praying. Like, I'm, <laughs> that's a terrible time to bring it up. But when you're walking in life with some people, maybe it's a coworker and all of a sudden something bad does happen. Mm-hmm. You might find yourself open th- that they're open to a conversation. Yeah. And, and because I, I just think I just I don't think that's just a movie. I think that is real life where people will really start to wonder what's next. Yeah. When life is easy, I don't think about the afterlife. I don't think about death. But when something strikes, all of a sudden, I do want to know, what can I actually do? Who can I actually pray to? You know, it's also real life is that the answer to his prayer, number one, doesn't come quickly. And number two, doesn't come the way he thinks it's going to come. So number one, after he prays this prayer, the bartender who he has helped, he has been one of those uh, poor families that has been able to thrive and flourish because of George Bailey's help and commitment. He had a home. You see that earlier in the film, like they bring bread and wine into their home and say, you know, this is for your family and that you can be established here. And now he owns his own establishment. And so he's very fond of George, but he sees he's struggling as it comes over and he says, George, are you okay? What, George? George Bailey? And lo and behold, there's the school teacher's there's husband him, right, right. who punches him in the face. And that's exactly <laughs> what he's like. Oh, well, that's what I get for praying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he goes to the bridge and he's thinking about jumping off the bridge into that water swirling below. And that's when Clarence, the angel, comes out of nowhere, jumps into the water. And what is what has George done throughout this entire film? He puts aside his own emotion, his own self. And he saves this angel because Clarence is an angel and he saves them. And so now they're drying off right there where their little bridge keeper's house is. And Clarence is trying to talk to him about all the good stuff that he's done in his life. And he's already revealed I'm an angel. He's like, yeah, they look like an angel I get. Yeah. And we'll 
You just don't know all that you've done. If it hadn't been for you... Yeah, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be a lot better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. And my... Look, little fella, why you go off and haunt somebody else. So he's now, already... Now you don't understand. He's I... already given up on the prayer that he prayed. He's already... Gi- I mean, it's like, oh, I... The moment he got hit in the face, God didn't listen to me. And I think that's so valuable for us to hold on to because at the end of the film, we know it happens. Clarence removes George Bailey's life from all of the scenarios so his brother would never have lived. He would never have gone on to be a war hero saving the lives of other people in World War II. He would never have married his wife. They would have never had their children. They would have never been able to really impact the lives of folk around them in Bedford Falls. They would have never been able to help out the building and loan. So everything would have gone to pot, literally Pottersville. Yeah, Pottersville, that's true. It was literally Pottersville, that's right. And I think in that moment, George is realizing he's having an epiphany. He is being given what he needs from God to just trust. Mm. Trust me, do you see? You think that taking yourself out of this picture is the way to go? No, I have been intricately designing everything along the way. Look at the people you have impacted. And this is what integrity looks like. This is where it's going to lead into my revelation of what I think is wrong with the movie. (laughs) Because what you said is true. And and, and that really makes me think about, for we are God, this is Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. (coughs) He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do all the good things he planned for us long ago. Mm. So you see this life that is valuable. I think that's an incredible thing to teach for the movie. Mm. You see all of the things that God has done through George Bailey and in, you know, in this fun scenario, that's not even necessarily biblical, but it's, it's, it's fun. And I think it is impactful to show that a life matters and that a lot of good can come through any life mm-hmm. uh, and that a lot wouldn't have happened in that way if it wasn't for George Bailey. But I think this is where we have to recognize as believers if it wasn't for George Bailey, but God still wanted all of those World War II uh, savings to happen, if he wanted his brother to live, if he wanted uh, the uh, pharmacist, Mr. Gower, to not have the medicine, and you know, God would have made it so with or without George Bailey. And you're looking at me very funny. So you're negating the entire purpose of the film is what it sounds like. In, 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 uh, from the Hollywood version, yes. Because... God is so sovereign. But he was instrumental in using George to make all those things happen. Absolutely. And that's why we, with the life that God has given us, we should take value and find, oh my gosh, look at the way, but God gets the glory, not me. Absolutely. And so if it was so that George didn't exist, but God wanted all those things to happen, they would have happened. God would have had another way. We don't cause or not cause God's plan. But the point is, is that he doesn't want another way. And that's the point of the movie. Sure. So the desire is that. So in hearing what Carter is saying, and perhaps you've been toying around with the thought, am I really valuable? If God's going to find somebody else to do it, he doesn't need me in the first place. No. That's the thing. The the life that God has created, he has created. That's where it goes back to Ephesians 2.10, right? It is God has clearly, if you're listening to this, God has created you. God has good works planned for your life, my life, Rochelle's life. So no, I should not, well, I might as well just jump into a river. No, no, not at all. 
But I do, I do think that we, especially just as uh, more so because where we're at in culture, our faith can be very me centered. And if we're not careful, this movie can take us to a place. Oh, I see what you're saying. Where okay. it's not healthy to right. put me as, well, God couldn't have done this without me. And God could have done any one of these things that we've oh, named without George Bailey. Absolutely. I I think it's super important for us to always lean into the same thing with the apostles. Mm-hmm. He called them. They didn't have to follow. They chose to follow. Mm-hmm. And because of their decision to choose to follow, we now follow along with their words in scripture in the New Testament, first and second Peter, from that big fisherman who probably knew less about the law certainly before following Jesus and then understood that Jesus came to fulfill the law. You know, we absolutely, the point is, is that God doesn't need any of us, but he desires us, which is why he came and died for us on the cross. Um, It it wasn't anything hinging off of what you or I do. Yeah. It's always, always about him for the the purpose though. That's why I was looking, I was just like, Did you just undo everything we said about George? In some ways I did. In some ways. But think about, in some ways, but the importance of the movie is to try to to bring, try to honor the creation that the creator made. Sure. We are still made in the image of God, which means we are highly valuable to him as his creation. And so he desires us so that he can use us to love on other people Yes, he could have easily loved on those people in, in this made-up story about Bedford Falls by other means, but it, instrumentally, God's desire is to play us. <laughs> if that makes sense, that sounds bad. But like if we are his instrument, he sure. desires to play that instrument and add to the symphony that is our life. Yeah. Um, and Which is so very special, which is why you are not necessarily, quote-unquote, needed for his plan and his purpose, because guess what? He created it yeah, uh, and before the beginning of time. And, and, that, and that, yes, exactly. And that's really my point is be, is because we can look at a movie and go, man, uh, everything hinged on George I, Bailey. And if you show a few more pe- good people in this world bite the dust, then uh, I don't know what God's going to do. Yeah. It, it would have never happened. Life would have never happened. No, like <laughs> it would be, we'd be from there to there just fine without any sure, of us. Sure. Um, but, we are here for a reason. Yeah. And Ephesians 2.10 proclaims that. Yeah. So at the very end of whatever that looks like, we may be singing Auld Lang Syne at the end of our <laughs> life. Oh, that's a Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine. I thought that that was what you were going to say totally messed up the whole movie. Also theologically inaccurate, little girl. There is no biblical evidence for that phrase. But teacher said it and teacher said a the lot one that, of things. Teacher's the one that let her go without her coat on. You okay. trust teacher? Oh my word. You know what's really awesome though about that is that the entire community, the people that that he decided that he chose to to pour into. They they came back and shared in that moment of need more than the $8,000 that he was short because of what happened with Uncle Billy and everything. Um, God doesn't always answer, answer prayer that way, but he is faithful. And he tells us in, in his word that, you know, if, if the lilies of the field don't, you know, put stuff away in barns, toil and reap and all that stuff, they're not working hard. And yet your heavenly father clothes them better than King Solomon in all of his glory. If the birds of the field who don't store away in barns and all this stuff, 
and they're always provided for. How much more is God going to provide for you? I can trust him. And I, I do think it's interesting. Scripture also points to you reap what you sow. And he sowed into this community. And now mm-hmm. the community starts pouring through that front door, that rickety door of his. Yeah with the means to get him out of the trouble that he was in. Yeah. And it doesn't always happen perfectly like that, but I think it's safe to say if you are into farming or you like have a green thumb or something, you plant a seed in the soil, something's going to pop up when you water it and put sunlight on it, right? So reaping and sowing, um, it may not come back to you the way that you think it should. But again, leaning into God and not your own understanding and all these things, knowing that when you do the thing that God has asked you to do, which is to be a person that does righteous things and makes those choices because we're not born waking up thinking, I want to do everything right and be completely selfless. No, it's a choice to pick up your cross and follow after Jesus and laying down our lives every single day. He will purpose that for his glory. And we know that he only has the best in his mind and in his heart. It would seem that if you are living out, uh, uh, you know, kindness and gentleness, patience, yeah. that more people would be willing to work with you, right? Yeah. It would just seem- That's it, true. It would seem like very good wisdom to, in general. Now, obviously there's the, if we're uh, bold about what we believe, we're going to say some things that split a room too, you know? I mean, so there is that as well. Um, but I think it a very wise wisdom that somebody said the other day. People really use that phrase, you, you got to keep the Christ in Christmas, mm-hmm. the very passionate, both in the church and even on, you know, conservative talk shows and things like that. You know, people will capitalize all, you know, all C-H-R-I-S-T and then little M-A-S, which, I mean, which is fine. I mean, the reason for the season is Jesus after all. Uh, but somebody added this on, I thought it was very interesting. Nobody cares if you keep the Christ in Christmas, if you're not living out Christ in the word Christian. Mm-hmm. And if we are these opposite of what we're talking about, opposite of what George Bailey did mm-hmm. and making the wrong choice, if, if we look and act like Potter, mm-hmm. but even if we're saying scriptural truth, it would seem that we wouldn't have as big of an audience <laughs> as if we acted like a Christian and lived out faith. You certainly won't have as much of a positive impact. You might have a huge following on social media as <laughs> pointing to the people of like, this is, they want me to be a Christian. Uh-huh. Look at what they do, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. So, so who was the guy who said the thing you said? Somebody once said. I'll play it for you. You want to play it for you? What is it from? I'm like, you were yeah. like, somebody said the other day. I'm like, well, who's somebody? I was listening to this the other day and I'm like, that is incredibly amazing. And this is a rap song. <laughs> KB is a Christian artist. That's great. And it is a lyric in one of his songs called King Jesus. And I'm like, I paused it and I was like, oh my gosh. I'm happily beaming. You have to believe in. I'm tapped in and we got the vision. People don't care. You keep Christ in your Christmas if they cannot see that there's Christ in the Christian. You do the division. There it is. Ooh, that's nice. I know. I like that. Thanks for letting us share our highlight moments of finding Jesus in It's a Wonderful Life. I think some of it, I mean, it was, you watch these movies and afterwards you're always impacted, but dissecting it, you don't necessarily do that. You're just like, oh, that was really, really good. Why was it good? Well, this is kind of what we're doing together here. I do want to share. What's that? Because there are some movies that maybe you could get away with pausing mm-hmm. and, and having the life lesson with the kids in the yeah. middle. 
this movie is already like three hours long. <laughs> you you will spend seven hours of your day if you pause it's this not movie. Three hours. It is close. But when you watch it on TV with the commercials, yes, it feels like that. Okay. But, well, there's, oh. there's one more movie next week. We'll wrap up seeing Jesus in our favorite Christmas movies with the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. 